Can individual protection providers learn from group protection providers? Until recently, many would have said no. But with individual sales down, eyes are turning to innovations in group risk, particularly digital solutions. My guest today is Chief Executive of Ellipse, a digital group risk insurer looking to simplify processes and to make employer-sponsored schemes more attractive. Hear John talk about how we must move away from income protection to workplace sick pay. Listen to his views on pensions auto-enrollment and whether we should be looking to introduce a similar approach for protection. And can individual protection providers learn anything from group developments? That's all right here in episode 38 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show. And here's your host, Roger Edwards. So I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and he is John Ritchie. John has worked in the group risk sector for over 20 years, primarily as a reinsurer and insurer, and now with Ellipse, where he has the chance to run a group risk insurer that makes use of available technology to deliver a high-quality service at substantially competitive pricing. John thinks that although the group sector can be proud of the role it plays in providing life and disability cover to millions of people in the UK, its customers deserve better service and investment in the underlying processes is long overdue. So, John, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Roger, good morning. Very nice to be here. And you had a few difficulties getting to work today. The trains were late, weren't they? Roger, people don't want to hear about my litany of excuses for my lateness and unreliability, so let's just crack on. Let's just crack on. John, before we get into our topic today, and we're going to look at group risk, and we're going to talk about auto-enrolment and how that's developed on the pension side and how how it might develop on um, income protection. But before we get to that, John, tell everyone on the Empath Podcast a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what your career has been like to date, what your ambitions are. Basically, what makes you tick, John? Wow, big question, Roger. Um, it's more like 30 years, actually. I first joined uh, Munich Re uh, in 1983. So most of my career, and I'm back in the Munich Re group, and I started the Ellipse project late 2008, getting to market uh, roughly a year later and getting our digital web-based proposition into the market in 2011. I'm, I'm one of those rare optimists in our sector, Roger. Um, I absolutely believe in the, in the fundamental purpose of what we do. What, we, what we're about is catastrophe cover for families, whether people buy that as individual consumers or whether their employer uh, pays for it and facilitates it. I think I'm very excited about where we are right now because I think we're, we're in the middle of, a, of an era change. It's the digital era as well as the post-auto-enrollment era. I, I represent the, the vocal extrovert wing of our sector, <laughs> and uh, there aren't that many of us, um, but we, we need more communication and we need clearly need more 
investment in delivery mechanisms. I think that is our single biggest issue. Let's in just the let's sector. just explore that a little bit more. You're the uh, extrovert of the industry, and you also mentioned that you're an eternal optimist. Do you think that the industry has a pessimistic view of itself? Is that a problem that we have? Uh, yeah, it's it kind of a slightly overdone risk awareness. Yeah, we're all about risk and. and we help people absorb risk in their lives and mitigate and deal with risk and, and the consequences. But I feel, I feel we're in a phase where we might be a little bit too risk averse on our own account, if that makes sense. Yes. So I, I would like us to change the language. Right now, we've got the single biggest important campaign, I think, of my career in the, in the sector. I think seven families explaining the illness and injury risk to people could be the start of a again the start of a new era we we've so we might understand that telling stories about sensibly and not shocking people but just telling the truth and enabling people to think about risks in their own lives i mean the risk of being off for more than four weeks in any given year right now roger that's a one in 32 risk okay and do we communicate that well enough we don't I think we're also a little bit patronizing towards our, our customers. This idea that we as actuaries, as product people, as people that run insurance companies, we don't quite respect our consumer enough. And it's interesting, just after the budget, around pensions, this idea that the life and, the, and pensions people have been putting around, that we can't trust people with their own money uh, from the ages of 55 to 70. You know, speaking as a 55-year-old, uh, we're very conscious of our money at this phase in our lives, and we're not going to do daft things. So I, I just think we need to break some of our established patterns of thinking about the consumer, about the attitude of employers when they are the, the, the corporate buyer. And let's kind of trust and explain and make our consumers and our buyers more self-confident. Seems to me that the era of the technician, the, the insurance company, the pension scheme, having all the information and, ha and a huge imbalance between the member, the policyholder, those days have gone. In a digital era, people can research, people can work things out for themselves. So let's help them get there faster so they, they become confident planning consumers and members in, as institutions and groups of people with thinking patterns we're lagging the consumer by quite a way at the moment i mean i think even the politicians and the the and the treasury may have a better sense of the consumer right now than we do goodness that's 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 not a happy statement. <laughs> that's, re that's really saying something, isn't it, John? I mean, obviously, these days, it's come up on the podcast time and time again, the, the fact that digital technology is there. People are researching pretty much every purchase, whether it's a pair of shoes, a new car, a holiday, and they're doing that about pensions. They're doing that about protection, perhaps not as much as we would like them to do, but they are doing that research. And I was interested in your, your comment earlier where you said, you described protection as catastrophe cover for families. Now, to me, that's actually a much better way of describing it than protection. Because let's face it, if you type the word protection into Google these days, you're going to get all sorts of different things coming up. You're not going to get insurance policies. You're going to get airbags for cars. You're going to get condoms. You're going to get safety bars. You're going to get everything apart from what we do. Absolutely. I mean, let's let's just look at focus on income protection for a second, Roger. Yeah. 
that was a name developed by a committee of insurance insiders. Yeah. It's, it, it's toxic because everyone thinks of payment protection insurance. When I'm talking about auto-enrollment, the potential for auto-enrollment to cope with the disability income risk, I'm, I talk about it always as auto-enrollment to workplace sick pay. Right. Short words, Anglo-Saxon origins, one syllable, let's talk to people in plain language. And that's what it is. So people understand that. Uh, the other thing, that, the other interesting statistic from Helen White's excellent project at the ABI, a quarter of a million people drop out of the UK workforce by its broadest definition every year. That's a quarter of a million people who never work again. Now that is the single biggest risk for an individual. It also represents huge wastage in the economy for employers as well as individuals. So what we must do is explain that level of economic wastage. What we must then do is show that the insurance sector, early intervention, rehabilitation, being the communication hub, if we can reduce that wastage, then we are going to do a very good thing for people, for the society, and as well for employers and capital. So the capital that gets into business and employs people will be interested in that if we rise to the challenge of explaining it and valuing it. In that sense, I think to move on to auto-enrollment to workplace sick pay, I think the insurance industry will do a better job than the state. The state right now gives people the equivalent of the old age pension with some supplements if they're long-term sick, and that's pretty grim. That is a very low standard of living indeed. They've already contracted out, they're on their second contractor to the admission process for the employment support allowance. And I think that's currently the untold story in, in this country. Yes. How horrible that process is, how inefficient it is. I don't want to sort of get into that, but uh, the politics of it are interesting to me. I think we will have auto-enrollment to workplace sick pay because the government needs that level of uh, welfare savings and because they've seen how it can work on an auto-enrollment to workplace pensions. Uh, we should therefore get through the resistance stage and get into the positive engagement and shaping stage. Because being no doubt, this is, this is quite difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And from a, a global perspective, from the Munich Re Group, you can, you know, certain environments have had to have two or three goals at this to make it sustainable and make it acceptable to the uh, the risk carriers, the providers of risk capital, the global reinsurers and insurers. So we've we can learn from other markets, but we've got to get our head up and into positive planning mode. Paul Avis from Canada Life was on the podcast uh, a few months back, and and again he's a staunch advocate of auto enrollment for income protection or auto enrollment for workplace sick pay, as you described it, John. But not everybody shares this view. There are quite a few dissenters out there who believe that this is not the way forward. What would you say to them? Well, I, I think to to think that we need or that we should expect some consensus among all the players in the market is a little bit Pollyanna, to be frank. Uh-huh. There was no consensus about auto-enrollment to workplace pensions, was there? I think the incumbent pension providers, the traditional life companies, didn't really want it. They, they didn't really fancy the challenge of gearing up to get to the 50% of the workforce that weren't already in an occupational 
pension. Uh, and and we, we understand that, that's the economics of it. There is a point though, where you need to say, is that as much so much about protecting an incumbency position? And is it just a bit too risky for those organizations? They'd quite like things to stay the way they are because that's they're built to service. If, if you see where I'm coming from, Roger, and I think there may be a, a slightly similar thing uh, in the protect, group protection, group life and disability world as well. So if we think the future is auto-enrolment for workplace sickness combined with, as you described, a much simpler method of communicating the benefits to our consumers, a much simpler way of getting them to understand that whilst we wouldn't like them to be off work sick, these things do happen, that's the way forward. And how have you developed the Ellipse model to effectively steer the market towards that destination? Just one qualifying thing in your question, mm. the market. I, I'm an absolute tartar here for stopping my own people talking about the market. The market, okay. There, there is a huge diversity of uh, insurer participants, distributors and advisors, even the attitudes and capability and budget in the employers. So we must not think about it as one kind of huge market unit that kind of edges its way forward. The diversity is enormous, Roger. And yes. I, what, one thing I've, I've learned in this phase of my working life is generalize about your distributors at your peril. Yeah. They are very, very different. But one thing I do know is that advisors can't afford to service this huge wave of micro and SME schemes that are, that are going to be new, new schemes. Auto-enrollment to workplace pensions means that there, are, there will be hundreds of thousands of employee benefit schemes where before there were none. And to service them for pensions or life cover or any form of disability cover, the, the delivery mechanism needs to be different. Right. That's, that's been true in pensions. It will be true in life and disability insurance as well. But, that's, but new models have come into that space. There are the big new collective pension providers. And what have they all got in common? They've got digital data transfer and a simple proposition and a link to the payroll. So to me, this is all about the process. So to, to, to come back to your question, uh, what we have built here is a, is a digital platform where micro and SMEs fundamentally self-service once the policy's been set up. Okay. The advisor does what they do well. They consult on structuring, choosing the choosing the insurers, getting the thing set up, and then they back off. 66% of our policies in force, the client self-services the data online. We call them every quarter. They give us their latest uh, payroll data. Uh, they, they put it into the, the uh, benefit categories. And do you know what, Roger? They do this incredibly reliably. They clean the data, they give you the levers and joiners, uh, and they're wonderful. And that's because we ask them. Yeah. And when we started this model, everybody said, oh, no, that won't work. <laughs> uh, they want the advisor to do that. When the client sends their data to the advisor, the advisor just lobs it over the fence to the insurer. Inevitably, it's incomplete. It gets lobbed back to the advisor, back to the corporate policy holder. It doesn't work, and it creates lots of reworks. And that is why that's the, main, the single main reason why group life and disability insurers have had a, a reputation for pretty iffy service for a generation. Now, at the other end of the scale, for the, the very biggest companies, are already uh, delivering their employee benefits through web platforms. The data is already on that platform. 
And at that end of the world, at that end, at that segment, we have built a thing called Livewire. And it's the first completely automated employer platform to insurance provider uh, data transfer in our market. Commonplace in pensions, but we're just starting to do that in insurance. The other thing we do is that we, we provide flex, flexible benefits and voluntary variants of our life and critical illness to schemes of all sizes. We think the model of the future will be the employer pays for your foundation benefits and then facilitates for you as the employee the ability to buy to top up your benefits. We also think that those platforms are going to host rules-based guidance. So give people the tools to put in about their their uh, family requirements, how many kids have they got, how much mortgage have they got, how much does the employer already pay for in terms of life and disability cover. I firmly believe if you give people really good guidance tools, they will make confident, sensible decisions for themselves. We will need to continually prompt engagement. And right now, this is the, this is completely underdeveloped, but that's the way to go. I'm optimistic about uh, the average working person and uh, they haven't changed. They're the same, my father's generation, my grandfather's generation. They will want to do the right thing to protect their family and provide for their family. The digital era just means that we, we will be able to develop tools to make them a confident, responsible consumer. And what are, what are these digital tools that you're talking about, John? I mean, the reason I ask that question is because right in the back of my mind as we've been having this conversation is the word worksite marketing, which makes quite a lot of people shrivel up because in the past it was one of those things that was always seen as a panacea for growth in the, uh, in the industry. But in America, worksite marketing is huge and they do a lot of uh, great big sign-up seminars and, and this, that and yeah. the other for employee benefits. Do you see it developing that way in the UK or is it all about a digital in, on-screen engagement? I think it's going to be mostly about uh, digital. Um, the tradition of the, the employer facilitating big voluntary schemes and then having a face-to-face -face sales day, that's so embedded in the States. Actually, but actually in the States, it's moving the other way, Roger. Okay. If you look at some of the people who do, um, who are massive players in this, um, in the States, we're seeing a shift to a mix of traditional face-to-face -face communication supported by uh, digital kind of calls out by emails, bringing you to a site, reminding you of things you needed to do, stuff that you haven't done. I mean, we're, we're beginning to do this. We have our group life. Uh, product we now do a lot of our business under a master trust we also have a nomination of beneficiary facility you know that thing you do where you fill in the form to tell the trustee where you want your money to go yes. when you die well we we and we have a a digital facility that that our group life policyholders can choose then when we take the data we get all the email addresses of the employees and we do that communication the employee comes into a secure section in our website and we can prompt for that to be refreshed we can do little exercises to see um to say, say to the third of the people who haven't done it in the last two years to come in and update their expression of wish because the completely new schemes coming in from as a result of auto enrollment they expect a provider like us to give them the whole package they don't expect to set up their own trust they don't really expect to have a, a separate trustee bank account. And they kind of say, well, why can't I do this expression of wish thing on your website, in your secure website? And we'd say, yeah, you're absolutely right. 
So that we think that increasingly all of these lines will come as comprehensive packages. The sick pay insurance package will have absence management free software built in. It has an employee assistance program built in so that a new or growing employer is going to buy and integrate it with kind of internet features, the internet of everything, dare I say, yeah. built in and not kind of unbundled and not connected. The other observation I have is that I'm very optimistic about growth. We can see that auto enrollment workplace pensions has already been a growth stimulus in group life. The big employers in the first wave of auto enrollment, when they broadened who had who was in the pension scheme, albeit they have different categories of pension scheme, they also broadened the reach of life cover. Right. They didn't exclude their people from some life cover that goes with the pension. Uh, so I can see already some of the really smart advisors if they do any auto enrollment to workplace pensions, they do an illustration for a group life uh, arrangement for that employer. And good news, employers are often very impressed by how much cover they can get for their people at a very reasonable premium. John, it's really refreshing to feel that optimistic view from a protection provider. But of course, your focus is all on the group side. I think there's there's probably a lot more doom and gloom in the individual protection market, probably for good reasons, because that market seems to be on, on the decline and, and it seems to be difficult to stimulate growth in the individual market. What are your views on some of the lessons that you've learnt developing the ellipse proposition and how they might be transposed into the individual protection market? Roger, I think that's, that's a very interesting observation. Um, I do hear a lot of mature market, low growth, low margin, sentiment in our sector generally. I think if you're if you're still thinking about group and individual as separate individual silos, that's probably where the issue is. I think we have to think about both segments changing fundamentally. I think we for for 20 years we've talked about a blurring between these markets. I think that's just about I think it's actually going to happen now. Okay. So we need to re-examine how we think about things and how we do things. If we focus on the communication, once somebody thinks about wanting to get themselves organized and covered, then we need to think about how quickly they can execute. And the key to that is digital underwriting and digital execution. When I get that guy thinking about how much cover he needs for his family, given that the employer already gives him four times and maybe two years workplace sick pay cover, then I have to act on his feeling that he wants to top that up. And that needs to be like buying a flight, uh, booking a hotel, buying some music. It needs to be relevant and he needs to be able to execute quickly. Again, I'm quite optimistic about that. We've got leading edge individual assessment built into our group uh, model which gives me a lot of capability to do voluntary schemes in the workplace at scale and at very low cost. So I would I would just like there to be a little bit more open-mindedness about how you execute. It's about the process. It's about simplicity of process. It's also about simplicity of communication. And I think that that's, that's something that we all have to recognize because, again, in the digital world, it's all about speed and succinct communication. Absolutely. And I believe we can do it. So yeah, you find me in pretty, in pretty optimistic shape at the moment. 
And what would you say for those people who are listening to the Empath podcast today, the two main things that you would like them to take out of your experience with Ellipse over the last few years? I think it would be to step back and think about your whole process. Think about taking operational risk out of it. Think about how do you uh, get really good value, sustainably good value covered people that really answers their needs. In group life and disability, we do a fantastic job. If you look at the grid claims numbers, this is a very, very efficient delivery mechanism to get meaningful amounts of cover to very large numbers of people. We can build on that. Personally, in this stage of my career, my actual purpose in this business is to make it possible to get to the 50% of people who haven't got a decent amount of life, a catastrophe cover for their families, and to to get that to them. Yes. We've we've we're kind of proving here that you can do that making a decent return for the shareholder and making a, and if you've got good processes you actually increase the quality of the business. Less operational risk, consistently good mortality and disability profits and a consistently better service for everybody in the value chain. We're we're pretty confident that we've we've got a model here that will become almost the new normal. And we've got some very fine competitors as well who are doing similarly um, progressive things in their businesses. And it sounds like there are lessons to be learnt from what you're doing in the individual protection market as well. Well, I, possibly, Roger. Uh, I think it's always been regarded rather as the, uh, shall we say, as the, um, as the sort of less favoured sibling in our sector. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. I think the individual guys could, might want to come and have a look at some of the best operating models on the group side and they may be they may, they may find some interesting ideas that they can uh, adopt if those ideas promote simplicity of process and simplicity of communication then i'm all in favor of it john thanks very much for coming on the empath podcast today and talking about group protection auto enrollment for workplace sick pay are you able just to stay for a couple more minutes to answer a few quick fire business questions of course roger and good luck with the edit you'll need it (laughs) (laughs) john if there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry perhaps by waving the proverbial magic wand what would that be i think it would be more investment in communication i think what we do is socially important but we grossly under-invest in our communications and marketing. I would definitely agree with that. And on the subject of marketing, what's the one business model or marketing campaign or product that you've seen in the last year that's caught your attention? Even if it was from a competitor, tell us what it was and what you liked about it. Um, I've already said seven families. Going more widely, I'm always impressed by First Direct. Yes. Uh, First Direct is, I've, I've been a, con, uh, a year one customer, so that's 20 odd years. I think they, it sort of proves that even if all the rest of the sector uh, has got poor service values, if you invest in good systems, the people that work for you will, will just naturally give a good service. But it all comes from the operating systems that support the people. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business. Oh, goodness. What a gr- Roger, these are very good questions. I wish I'd read the guidance brief better. <laughs> um, an app that has made a huge difference. I think it has been the, the rules-based individual underwriting. Uh-huh. Now, I'm, I'm going back 10 years, actually. 
I'm going back 10 years to when I was at St. James's Place and Friends Life brought out the first rules-based information gathering. And that was the point where I, where I realized that you could and should separate uh, finding customers, giving them advice, structuring a solution and separate that from the data gathering for underwriting. I've now applied that to scheme underwriting and it works incredibly well. So I think it would be the pioneers in rules-based individual underwriting sort of showed us a different path, a different way of doing this business. It makes it a lot safer for the consumer if you take that conflict of interest away. Get the sales guy off the underwriting pen. And finally, what's the best business book? Actually, it doesn't have to be a business book. What's the best book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. This I could give you some quite bizarre answers to this. But I'm going to go back to First Direct. I was privileged to meet Mike Harris, who's the guy who started that project. And his, he's got a, he wrote a little book called Find Your Light Bulb Moment. And it's a kind of a guide for people who start new businesses within big corporates. Right. And I would put, recommend that to people like me who are starting new ventures, but within existing large corporates. It kind of gives you a little bit of a guide to the uh, emotional maintenance that's required uh-huh. because um, large corporates ha- aren't really designed necessarily to incubate innovative new new startups. Um, so there are always uh, conflicts and frictions and Mike kind of showed us how to keep going uh, as he called it, through the fog and treacle of normal corporate life. <laughs> fog and treacle of normal corporate life. I love that. It sounds like I should have read that book before I got involved in starting up Bright Grey over 10 years ago. Possibly. It's it's how to be an entrepreneur, a clumsy word, but actually a very practical guide. And John, before we sign off, tell everyone how they can connect with you on wherever it is, Twitter, LinkedIn, your website, email. How can they get in touch? Uh, LinkedIn, just search my name, John Ritchie at Ellipse. Uh, Twitter, at John Ritchie 3 um, and, that, and uh, john.ritchie at ellipse.co.uk. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and we intend to become even more so. Uh, so love to network, Roger, as you know. Because uh, I, I don't really find much out about my the business I'm in sitting in my office in Bermondsey Square. It's when I'm out and about talking to people that the uh, that, that spark ideas and spark change. Well, I hope people do get in touch with you, John, and all of those contact details will be available in the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. John, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been fascinating listening to your stories about group risk and the future and your optimistic outlook for growth in this area. Let me wish you every success for the future and no doubt we will catch up at the various networking events that we are both members of. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. 
If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.